Thanks for not going to the race. <laughs> oh. We are continuing a study that uh, has been fun and crazy all at the same time. I, once again, have way more material than I can cover today. Um, if you're visiting with us, I'll kind of catch you up a little bit, but we have uh, a lot of sermons out on the website. If you feel a little bit lost today, um, well, that's pretty normal. Um, during this series in Revelation, it's been kind of crazy, but um, feel free to go out to the website. We have, uh, I've, I've got a little counter on the website that, that allows me to see how many people are listening to our sermons, and um, we're at somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people a week listening to the sermons. I mean, I, that's like the population of Paragon, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> um, there's people coming all, uh, I mean, people are listening to this, they, they're hungry for Revelation. Um, this is a, 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 a big thing to tackle. Um, Rick mentioned that we are meeting on Wednesday nights. We don't normally do that, um, but uh, we met a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night just to kind of come and ask questions and, and dig through uh, the book of Revelation. So if you're visiting today, if you haven't been here, if you haven't, you haven't uh, kind of been a part of this series, then I um, hope you don't feel lost. I'm going to catch you up a little bit, but please plan to join us ne- this Wednesday night, um, 6 o'clock here. We, uh, we'll be here till uh, I try to quit about 7.30, 7.40, so I can get home and put my kids to bed and get bath time and all that taken care of. So, um, and it's just fun. It really is fun. I, I know that sounds weird, um, but uh, we had a great time a couple weeks ago, and we're going we're gonna to do it again this week. And it gives me a chance to kind of dig a little deeper with some of this stuff. And, and what I'm hoping that, that you get today um, is, is sort of some perspective on what God has planned for the end of everything. And if you're here and you're kind of kicking the tires on the God thing, you're trying to decide what's real and what's not, you've come at a really good time. Um, Because what we're about to see is the culmination of everything. We're about to see the end of the story. If you ever pick up a book, we went to the bookstore yesterday with the kids, and I I didn't used to do this, but I'm to the point now where I will often look at a story, pick up the book, and make sure I like the way it ends before I buy it, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and maybe you're that kind of person. This is a great opportunity for you to say, I, I, I want to see how this thing ends. I want to see how, how God um, is going to end w- what we're doing here on earth. And we're going to start, we're going to get a real glimpse of that today. Um, my plan is, and I think I've got this figured out now, um, that we'll do this week and next week um, in terms of our Sunday mornings. And that will be the end of the book of Revelation and the end of the story um, that we've been working on. So next week will be our last Revelation sermon. Um, then we'll do the following Wednesday as well um, to, uh, to kind of dig through it. I could, I could go the rest of the year on this with no problem, um, but we've got we to get going to the next thing. So before we get going today, um, if you're visiting with us, I want to just thank you for being here. kind of want to let you know what we do, um, and some of you, it's been a while since you've been here. It's almost like you're visiting with us. Um, so I'm going to remind you what we do. Uh, before we start um, our, our, our time of, of sermon, we just kind of take a deep breath just to get some perspective on our lives. If you're not careful, you walk in here, you'll just kind of go through the motions and you'll walk out the same. And the Bible says that's dangerous for us to hear the Word of God and not change. Um, and so what we do before we start is uh, just pray. And I am, I am, uh, there's nothing special about me, um, especially when it comes to my spiritual life. I'm, I've been asked to, to do this preaching thing, and if I'm not careful, I'll stand up here and say things that I think are important and miss out on what God wants. So I'm just going to take a deep breath, pray that God gets what he wants over the next 30 to 45 minutes or so, and uh, that our hearts can stay right. Let's pray together. 
God, we give you thanks for the way you love us today. A lot of us in this space are going through so many things at times we question whether or not you care. I'll just be honest. There's some in our space today, God, who, who aren't sure they even believe in Jesus. They're not sure they believe the Bible is real. God, would you give them a deep breath today? Remind us all that you're big enough for our questions. That they, our doubts don't scare you. And God, would you build our faith today? Would you allow us to walk away from here with a different perspective on who you are? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to jump right in and I want to remind you, we've been going through the book of Revelation. And if you're new to the book of Revelation, whew, um, there's a lot to catch you up on, and I can't possibly do that today. But the book of Revelation starts, um, chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that the, the writer of the book of Revelation, whose name is John, um, finds himself in prison and gets uh, a vision from God about what the future will be like. Now, if you have a problem believing that, I don't blame you. I'm, I'm the kind of person who uh, has a hard time with those kinds of statements too. And the very first sermon that we preached in this series, um, it's on the website. Go back and listen to it. It really helped. My study of that really kind of helped build my faith. But I believe that John was a man that was different. He was special. From the beginning of time, you all know that there have been people like this that God has raised up um, and said, you're going to deliver a very special message. I need you to to, to do something different than what most people do. John was one of those people. And God allowed him to see a glimpse and a picture of what the future will be like, the end of everything, what it will all be like. And we get this picture from him. It's full of signs and symbols, things that I believe we won't ever understand. There are some things that we will not ever understand in the book of Revelation. Um, it's fun trying, um, but it's good to distinguish when, we, when there are things that God deems really important for us to understand. We want to try to figure that out. But there are times where it's obvious that this is just something God intends for it to be a mystery for now. Either our brains can't quite wrap around it or whatever. And so often during this series, and especially on Wednesday nights, I've been saying over and over and over, I don't know for sure, but here's my, after studying, here's my um, analysis of this. So as we start this book, um, it, it is one of the most complicated pieces of Scripture in all the Bible. I think what we talk about today is probably the hardest thing to understand in the Bible. It's hard to, to get where God is going, and, and I want to kind of parse it out. I really, if you're interested at all in this, I'm going to cover some kind of 30,000 foot views today, but if you're interested at all and you really want to dig deep, Wednesday night we are going to hit this really, really hard. Um, I've got a lot of materials to send with you next week, tons of things that we're going to dig in. So if you have some questions, write them down and bring them with you Wednesday. But I want to remind you, those of us who have been studying this for a while and feel confused or we feel a little scared about what the end times might be, we feel a little worried about things, I want to remind you that there is attached to this book a blessing. And we use the word blessing a lot in church. It's become kind of a church word. Um, and uh, it reminds me of a Christmas vacation. I don't know if you know that movie um, where they're all sitting around the table and, and they say they want grandma to say the blessing and she can't see or hear anything. She says, the blessing, you know, the blessing, you know. And um, so they end up standing up and doing the Pledge of Allegiance, I think, if I remember right. It's a really funny movie. Anyway, every time I see the blessing, I think, the blessing, you know, that, and we've just kind of forgotten what this word means. But truthfully, the way it was intended to mean is those who, who listen 
and carefully try to figure this thing out, we'll be given a, a special blessing. Now, I, I don't think that means the lottery numbers. <laughs> I don't think that means you're going to walk out here with a heavier wallet than you walked in with. I don't believe that. But a different kind of peace. Usually the word blessing means that there is something overall in your life that will, will be enhanced because of that experience. Now check this out. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave um, him, John, or I'm, I'm sorry, the re- revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all the things that he saw. Listen to this. Here's your blessing. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. That's one of the things I love about going to the movies. You get those little trailer kinds of statements. In a world, you know, that's the way a lot of good action movies are. In a world where Arnold Schwarzenegger always says, get down! You know, it's a, and it's a, this whole kind of a, a, a dramatic thing. There is a drama in this. The time is near. And the question becomes, what time and how near? And what we've seen as we've studied this is that the time that, that God is talking about and that John sees is the time that is the end of the world. And, and when we talk about the end of the world, we, th- we think of it in terms of the apocalypse. If you've, if you've ever heard the word apocalypse, the idea is that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. We've heard, that's where that phrase comes from. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. The world is going to be destroyed. We have all this picture of what the end of the world is. The, the truth is, what God thinks of the end of the world is the culmination of the plan. It's the end of the plan. It's from the very beginning, this has been the plan. And it's actually not just the destruction of, the, of, of a lot of things on earth. In fact, the whole earth won't be destroyed because according to Revelation, this is where heaven will be for eternity. On a new heaven and a new earth. And so it, it, really the plan of God is not, and this is one of the things that's gotten me a, a, a lot of questions over the last few weeks as we've just, uh, studied Revelation. I believe the book of Revelation and the end times are not first and foremost about punishing those who haven't followed God. I don't believe that's what the end times are. I believe the end times are first and foremost about redemption. They're about giving people an opportunity again to turn. Now th- this is, uh, has not struck a good chord with some of my Christian friends. In fact, um, I, I told you that we've got a lot of people listening to, my ser- to, to the sermons on- online. Some of those people aren't from Paragon, and some of them are my colleagues who I, I went to school to college with, and I'm getting some pretty nasty emails. There's, it seems that there are Christian people who really want to see people go to hell. They would really like to see most people just be destroyed and go to hell. Um, and, and I'm not sure I understand that. And I really don't see that in the book of Revelation. As bad as things are going to get and as awful as things are even going to get in our story today, I believe and I see throughout the book of Revelation, and it's the way this chapter ends today, that redemption is the point of God's story. From the very beginning, it has been. And I'm going to try to convince you today. I'm going to let God convince you today. That if you allow redemption to be the point of your story, it will change the way you live your life. Now, not just your redemption. Of course, 
That's, that's the first thing. You, you need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And you need to be, that redemption needs to be at first and foremost in your life. But after that, then God intends for everything that you touch and all the opportunities you have to make contact with people to be redemptive for the words you say, for the things that you do. And when you live that way, not only are you living with peace and hope and joy in your life, but you are actually aiding and you're actually moving things towards the end of the story. It's a really cool opportunity for us. Now, I want to jump right in this this morning to to where we're going. Next slide. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Um, We're going to spend today in, in Revelation chapter 11. And if you've if you've been studying with me with this, you're going to go, John, you just skipped over a bunch. And yes, I did, because if I don't, we will be going through the book of Revelation until 2017. So yes, I did. I've skipped over a, a few things. But what we've, what we've really hit hard is that when John sees, um, when John sees the end of the world, he sees God, he, and, and you've got to jump back and, and ch- take a look at sermons um, from a couple weeks ago. John paints this picture of, of the throne room of God and of his presence. And then he says that there's this, this scroll, and on it there are seven seals. And each of those seals unleashes a new thing on earth that we consider to be the apocalypse, the end of the world. Now, the, the incredible thing is that as these things go, they, they seem to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Every time a seal is popped off of this scroll, the world sees a new calamity and a new hardship. But my understanding of God and my understanding of what it means to be a, a, a father, which I believe God has put in me for a very specific reason, what, what I understand is that punishment is not about me saying how big I am and how small you are. That's not what punishment is. Punishment is not about me making you pay for what you did. Real punishment, the kind of punishment that God has been involved with from the very beginning, is first and foremost about redemption. And if you're a good father, if you're a good mother, if you're a good leader, if you're a good boss, any kind of discipline that takes place is not for the sake of of making sure everybody knows who's in charge. In fact, that's destructive. That causes relationships to tear apart. Many of you in this place right now are nodding because your dad did that to you. His, His point when discipline was set forth in your house, was for you to know that he is bigger than you. And he may have taken that so far that he actually hit you because he needed you to know that he's bigger and stronger than you. That's not discipline. That's not God. That's not punishment the way God talks about discipline in the Bible. The way God talks about discipline in the Bible is much different. It's about redemption. It's about leading you to be whole. It's about having you make the right decision. And in my house with Reese, my five-year-old, I have to continue to build things in his life to give him opportunities to make the right choice. And sometimes when he gets tired enough and when he gets grumpy enough and when he gets that, you know, that, that five-year-old kind of a, I'm going to win this fight, my discipline has to get tough. It has to get ugly. To him, it's kind of like the apocalypse in his little world. There are times where the punishment that I've given him, I know he looks at me and goes, how can you love me and take away my favorite stuffed animal? Well, let me tell you, the truth is, that's why. Because I want you to make the right choice, and this is the only way to get you. This is the end of times. This is the picture that I have of God. It's not first and foremost about punishment. It's first and foremost about redemption. And part of that is this invitation to be where God is. Check this out. 
Revelation 11, chapter 19 says this, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of the covenant was seen in this temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunders, and earthquakes, and great hail. I want to start this whole thing by reminding you, those of you who are Christians, if you're not a Christian and you're kind of kicking the tires, you kind of you get a little bit of a glimpse of, of what those of us who are trying to um, be Christians kind of are trying to do. What we have done is accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and many of us have just sat in the pews then and waited for something to happen. And truthfully, the presence of God, every time the presence of God is real in somebody's life, there is lightning, thunder, and hail. And it is big, and it is magnificent. Check this out. Next slide. Um, when, when God's presence is involved all throughout the story, we've been going through this series called The Story. We're in 38, the 38th week of this. Do you know that? We'll be 39 weeks. That's the longest sermon series I've preached, and I hope I'll never have to preach one that long again. Um, but 39 weeks, we've been going from Genesis to Revelation. We've been going each way through. And we've been seeing, we can get an incredible perspective on God's redemptive intentions and also on God's presence from the very beginning he's wanted to be where we are and every time and I want you to get this because last Wednesday night we had some real questions um, about the end times people would people actually ask this question I love this about Wednesday nights we're being real honest with each other John it is not fair that I can work all my life being as good as I can be and trying really hard to be good, and the people who are living life like however they want to are going to go to heaven too if they just at the very last minute say, I choose Jesus. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's like it doesn't even matter. And I want to say, first of all, you're right. It's not fair. God never said it was fair. That's not His intent. Now, there's some incredible consequences of living far from God, and we know that 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 resides in our life. But the truth is, um, what God wants most from you is to be where you are. And with that comes an intent for you to be what the Bible calls righteous. Now, that's a a church word that we use, but what it means is living on the right path, moving in the right direction. It doesn't mean sinless. It means moving, always moving forward, always moving ahead. And here's what I want you to know. Those of you who are, who are following Jesus in this place and those of you who are looking at the end times and trying to decide, you need to know this, that in God, anytime God's presence is, is here, and we're going to talk about that in a second, in your life, righteousness matters deeply. Being close to God, being where God is, um, righteousness matters deeply. When it first started, the presence of God started in the Bible. Uh, if you remember in the story, it started on a mountain. God only was, would, would talk to Moses on a mountain. And if you wanted to be around the presence of God, you just kind of have to see Moses up on a mountain. And, and that's kind of where God was, and there was something right about that. I don't know what it is with God, but he, he looked down at this mountain. And he said, this is the only place I'll be, and Moses, I'll meet you there. And Moses would go up, and, and the, he would come down. The Israelites said that his hair would like be blown back, and he'd be completely white after seeing God. And, and not, he didn't actually see God. He just got a glimpse of the, the kind of a corner of God, and it completely enlightened him and changed him. And so we get that as the presence of God. And then finally God says, I want to be with the Israelites. I, I want to be where they are. I, I, I kind of want to be in their presence and not just up on a mountain talking to Moses. So here's what I want you to do, and it's really weird, and if you just read the story and you just, you just read this part, you don't realize what God is doing, but he says, I want to be in your presence, but if you want me to be where you are, you've got to be doing things the way I ask you to do them. 
Now that ought to shake you a little bit. If you want me to be where you are, if you want my presence in your presence, things have to be just such. And there are parts of the Bible that you've read and probably skipped over, and I don't blame you, that outline exactly how to make the Ark of the Covenant. Dimensions. It's like somebody took a measuring tape and started writing down. And God says, this is exactly how I want the Ark of the Covenant. And when you build it like this, I'll be there. And so God took residence up in the Ark of the Covenant, and it was this incredible thing to the point where God said, don't touch this thing. So they put it on poles and they would carry it. And at one point, it was going up a hill, and it kind of, the Ark kind of shifted a little bit. And one of the guys that was carrying it touched it on the side to kind of keep it steady, melted immediately. Totally melted the guy because of the presence of God and, and because he had, he had said, here's, here's what you do when I'm in your presence. Now, the tabernacle then, the Ark of the Covenant, kind of uh, was the place where God was until he said, you know what, I won't even be even closer to my people. And I, so I want you to build this tabernacle, which is sort of like a tent that they would take with them wherever they were. And, and, and in the wilderness, they could, they could, the presence of God would be there, and there was sort of a cloud that settled over it. And it was this feeling that God is with us, but it has to be just so. But that righteousness matters. Moving things in the right direction matters. The temple then became the place where, where God's presence was known. And now today, because of the blood of Jesus, you, your body, is the temple for the presence of God in your life. It's amazing. And we take it for granted. The Israelites would have said, what do you mean God is in you? How can God be in you? I, have to, I watched him go from a mountain, and then we had to build an ark, and then we had to build a tent, and God is just in you? And they would be shocked at how we often treat God and treat Jesus. Check out Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Because of all this grace and the fact that God is in us and that we just receive Jesus. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may have a... It's on our sign new life. I think one of the things that pains God most, especially the closer we get to the end of time and the story being fulfilled, is those Christian people who claim Jesus, who have Jesus in their lives, who have His presence in their body instead of in a tabernacle, who don't value righteousness who continue to live the way they want to live, who don't get the right path. Now, we're not, remember righteousness, we're not talking about sinless. We all do. But there are Christians in this building, this space right here, who have dealt with the same sin, the same thing over and over in their lives, and they've got to the point where they've given up trying to fix it. I think that there is a time coming where the more you know, the more desperate you become. To be right with God. Even though you're saved by grace. I, I love this picture. I was looking at this picture uh, last week. This is a picture of the Milky Way. Um, you and I are there. Right now, we're there. Everybody you've ever known, everything that has ever happened on the earth is in that picture. That perspective on our life, I, I was looking at it and Reese was looking over my shoulder and he said, Dad, what is that? And I said, instead of saying that's the Milky Way or that's our galaxy, I said, 
That's you. You're there. Do you know that you're on that picture somewhere? You're way down deep. You're way, way, way. And I got this picture from, I got this, this feeling from Reese that I had never got from him before. He got this perspective. Dad, is that how big the universe is? No. That's how big our galaxy is. That's not even close to how big the whole thing is. And God created all of it just to lead you back to him. And it got him to this point where he started saying, well, Dad, does the sun move? And he started asking me all these questions. Because here's the thing, the more you know about God, the more you get about Revelation, the more you realize you just don't know everything. And the more you realize that you are far, far from who he wants you to be. And the more it pushes you to be who he wants you to be. And that's what happens in chapter 11. Check this out. Chapter 11, verse 1. John is, has gone through six of the, or has gone through, actually, now we're in the seventh seal, which opens up what is, what is called seven bowls and seven trumpets of, of woes on the earth. And man, they just get worse and worse and worse. And I'm not going to deal with them today. We'll talk about them on Wednesday. But the, if, you, if you can imagine, the earth is just getting more and more earthquakes. We're getting more and more um, pestilence. We're getting to the point where, and if you remember, over the last couple of weeks we've talked about, this will be a time where I believe, based on what I've read in Revelation, I believe that the world will know there won't be any more, and I say this all the time, there won't be any more kicking the tires on God and Jesus. There won't be any more digging to find out if it's true. There won't be any more trying to figure out what's real and what's not. There's going to be a sense on earth at this point that earth has never seen anything like this and that there is a power bigger and stronger than anything we've ever seen. Revelation says this, John says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. There's this sense that what John sees is he's, he's going to, all those people who are believers, God says, measure them. And it's, it's like he's, he's going to begin to reconstruct. He's going to be able to, to measure them and rebuild and, and start to strengthen those who are believers. Now, as we move forward into this, next slide. As we, the, the next uh, verse is this, verse 2. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles. Come Wednesday night and I'll tell you, uh, we can talk a little deeper about that. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Three and a half years or so. And the idea here is that this is the, our first glimpse at seeing that on earth, for the first time ever, in history, God is going to give the enemy, Satan, the longest leash he's ever given him. This is where he gives him authority to do things he's never given him to do before. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. There's a whole lot of implications for that. But what it means is the earth will see peril that it has never seen, both spiritually and physically, emotionally. And at this point, things get really rough. Now, Risha and I were talking about this this week. She I've been preaching to her, you know, just trying to tell her what I'm thinking and trying to cut out things in my sermon. Should I cut that or should I leave that? And it's got us both really getting some perspective on our lives and on what's important. And we started talking, and she said, so you think we'll be here? If, if Jesus were to come back right now before we die, and this, were, this whole thing were to start, you think we'll be here? There won't be a, like a, a rapture like we 
Well, and that's a whole other story. There's a group of people who believe that there is a rapture and that all the Christians, all the people who believers now will, will be sucked up into heaven and then all this tribulation will start. There's a whole lot of people who believe that. I'm not one of those. I believe that we will be living through the tribulation, those of us who are Christians. Now, now you remember last week we talked about the angel who has a kit. See, some of you who weren't here last week, you're going to want to go back and read this. This is cool stuff. There's an angel who has a little kit on his belt. And he, before the destruction of the world, uh, the Bible says that the angels hold back all of the, the forces and all of the things that are going to happen to the world so that this one angel can go and mark a seal on the forehead of all those who are to be saved. So there'll be some sort of a mark where we'll have to go through. Those who are, us who are, are believers of Jesus will we'll still have to be here. We'll go through it, but we'll be protected in some way. And I'm not sure exactly how that all works, and a lot of that is up to interpretation. But what I told Risha is, yes, I believe that if that was to happen today, that we would see that calamity as Christians, that we would be here. And again, there's lots of opinions out there, but I believe it strongly. And there is also this sense in me. Maybe I'm naive. I know I'm naive. Maybe this is part of my naivety. But I really, there's a part of me that looks forward to a time where that parking lot can't contain the cars for the people who want Jesus. You know how many times I come in, I'll just be real honest with you, you know how many times I come around that cornfield there and pray that when I get here there'll be a new surprise, there'll be so many cars in this parking lot, or there'll be the people that we've been praying for for a long time, that there'll be a line backed up, that we won't, we'll have to have five services because we can't get everybody in this building. I pray it every time, and I've been praying it since I was in eighth grade. God has put this on my heart to lead people to redemption, and I've wanted to since I was in eighth grade. Don't tell me that when the entire world is finally going to start coming to Jesus, you're going to suck me out and I don't get to be here. I want to see it. I want to be here. And as bad as it's going to be and as hard as it's going to be, people are going to be knocking down the doors. And here's a piece of hope for you. If you've fallen asleep, wake up for a minute. Because those of you who have been praying for your husbands, somebody just got a cold chill. (laughs) Those of you who have been praying for your son, your daughter, your friend, the person in the cubicle away from you, and they seem so far from God. They seem so far. You're just almost ready to give up praying for them. You're almost ready to quit talking about it. I want you to know that there will be a come a time where I believe sincerely, and we'll look at it in just a minute, where I believe sincerely that it will be so obvious that God is in charge and we're not. That many of the world who have been so hard from, now there'll still be some hard hearts out there, but many of the hardest hearts will turn to God and guess who they'll be looking for to help them find God, to help them get to Jesus. Guess who they'll be looking for? They'll be looking for mama because mama's been saying it for 35 years that this is the only way to real life. They'll be looking for their wife because they know in the back of their mind that they've had it right. Be ready. This will be Satan's longest leash ever on earth. We're going to talk about this Wednesday, all the, some of the implications. But what it does is it begins to a, a level of desperation. And if you're a dad, you know, a mom or dad, you know exactly what this is with your kids. You've got levels, don't you, of discipline? We're going to start with a timeout, which with London... A two-minute timeout, she'll, she'll remember it for a week. She's, hey, just, did I, disappoint, she, I disappointed Dad, that's enough. Reese laughs in the face of a two-minute timeout. So I can start with that, but i got to line it up. 
And I got to get it worse and worse and worse. And I'm just praying, oh God, I don't want to have to take his lightsaber away. He's got a Star Wars lightsaber. And it's his prized possession. And it's the last thing in my line. And the more I go, the more I'm going, oh man, buddy, please make the right choice now. I don't want to have to take this away. I don't want to have to get to that level. I believe this is where God's gotten. It's lightsaber time. Earth, God has said, hey, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth. And if you haven't heard about this, you need to come back. Because heaven, the way God talks about heaven for eternity, is going to be here. This is why I am in, in absolute, I am absolute agreement with the green movement. Let's preserve it. Because this is where we're going to live for eternity. Heaven is going to be different. It's going to be, or earth is going to be different. It's going to be new. There will not be any pain. There is no room for people who are far from God. There is no room for any kind of pain, any kind of torment, any kind of tears. It's all gone, and that's the promise. So there is a point in history where God will have to say, if you don't choose me now, if you still look me square in the eye and say, no, you have to go to a place somewhere other than this because your, the pain that your life caused is not welcome in the new world, in the new heaven and the new earth. And it's coming to that. It's coming to that. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Now, this is pretty amazing. Wednesday night, we'll cover this in really detail, but I'll tell you what I think real quick. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, then as we're going, and I will give power to two witnesses, my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. That's the same as the the months that we heard just a little bit ago. It's right around three and a half years. They will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. We'll talk about what sackcloth is. It's just a... It's like a sack that you would put grain in, and, and this is what prophets and, and those who are mourning would wear at this time. So basically what he's saying is in the middle of this time where, where the enemy has been given the biggest leash, things will get really bad on the earth. There are going to be two people that are coming from heaven who will be on the earth. He'll be prophesying. They'll be talking. Now, we'll talk about this a little later too on, on Wednesday, but there, I believe that this could be a time, the Bible doesn't say this, this is my feeling about, about the end times and about what the Bible says. I believe this will be a time where these guys, we could start to see the kinds of miracles, the kinds of signs and wonders, and by the way, we see miracles now. They're different than they were in the Old Testament, aren't they? We don't see Red Seas parting right now very often. I've never seen it in my life. This could be the time where, the, where all of that is opened up, and these two witnesses... The question becomes, who, who are they? Verse 6, these have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. There are two references to two, two different people here, and I believe that these could be Moses and Elijah. Moses dealt with the plagues, and that's the reference to him. Elijah dealt with a drought, and he kind of kept the rain, and I think this could be Moses and Elijah. I think that at this point, these two witnesses could literally be Moses and Elijah. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. But at this point, these two men come to earth, whoever they are. They come to earth, and they begin to prophesy, and people begin to either come to Jesus, or they fall for eternity. When they finish their testimony... When these two men finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, 
and kill them. You're visiting with us. Aren't you glad you visited today? (laughs) And their dead bodies will lie in the street. The great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see the dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on earth. Next slide. Now, after three days, three and a half days, Anybody ever heard the number three days before when it comes to a resurrection? Now, after three days, the breath of life from God entered these two men again, and they stood on their feet. I think that would make the cover of Time Magazine and Rolling Stone. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Yeah. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Now, if you were to stop right here, which a lot of my fellow preachers do this, they were to stop right here and say, see, hell's coming, turn or burn today. Now, I do believe that God is going to unleash hell on earth like he's never done it before. And I do believe it's going to be a terrible time, and I do believe you need to turn or burn, but I need to tell you the rest of this story. Even in the midst of the end of time, there is a rest of the story. There is a redemptive value. There is an end. Check this out. So after all this has happened, in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. See, even in the worst time the earth has ever seen the plan is redemption next slide i I want to do this quickly today but i I want you to see a piece of scripture that maybe you've heard before you've read if you've been in church before you might have heard this we're going to dig deep into this wednesday night be ready Um, bring your thinking caps and pack a lunch Uh, it's going to be a long wednesday but um, this is a piece of scripture that comes from a little bit earlier in the bible from Philippians, and a man named Paul. And he says this, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, which we need right now, don't we? Any comfort provided by His love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in Spirit, having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. What if we did this today? What if you walked out of here today and you weren't the number one priority in your life today? That'd be weird. Here's the picture of the end time. It's going to happen. Those who are close to Jesus, those who have taken up the presence of God in their lives and in their hearts, they're going to get such perspective. They're going to, in the end times, they're going to be so torn. They're going to be so torn by their sin. They're going to be so messed up by unrighteousness that they're going to be pursuing each other and they're going to be looking outside of themselves. This is what Paul says. Look at this. Jesus who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, 
By taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now check this out. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. Now I want you to kind of suck back. We're almost done here. I have five minutes left. Okay, eight. I want you to get some perspective. I told you this was not going to clear up everything today, but I want you to get some perspective for a moment. Think about the worst time the earth has ever seen. Evil spreads over the earth. It's not even a question of not anymore. It's, nobody's going to go, well, that's evil, and somebody else goes, evil, that's funny. Yes, that's evil. It's that bad. Everybody knows that evil is there. Everybody knows that there is life available, and, but everybody's wondering if God's going to, be, is God's going to actually redeem people. These two... Uh, witnesses come to earth in the midst of all this and they say, they say some hard things and they say turn from who you are and, you, and righteousness matters to God and you, many, of, uh, many of the people that you've never thought would come to Jesus are coming to Jesus. And finally at the end, some point during all that, and we're going to be studying that over the, next, over the next week as well, we get to a point where the name Jesus is spoken as the king of all of it, as the number one, as the top of everything, the name Jesus is spoken. And here's what Paul says about that. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the picture of the end of the world. It gets as bad as it gets. And then finally, every knee who's left, every single person who fears God, every single person who looks at their life and sees them as they are will want Jesus and will recognize Him as King. Reese and I had a bad day this week and Really bad day, and it got really bad to the point where he's, he's saying things to me that he really could get him in, like, big, big trouble. Like, like things he's never said. Awful five-year-old things. And I am thinking things that could get me arrested. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't do them, but I'm thinking them. And I am getting to a point... As, as good a dad as I can try to be, I'm getting to a point where the good dad is starting to fade away and the bad dad is showing up. I'm going to yell a little louder and I'm starting to say things like, guys, you've said this, moms, you've said this too. You don't talk to me that way. All of a sudden, I've shifted this thing, haven't I? It's not about Reese anymore. Now it's about me. It's not about him making good choices. It's about him messing with me. And nobody messes with me. So now, it's a 38-year-old man against a 5-year-old boy. That's just dumb. That's just dumb. And we, the worse it got, the harder it got, the more I began to get angry. And there came a point. I, I, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but it, there came a point where I looked down at him and I said something that was funny and I accidentally messed up a word and I said the word toot, which is his favorite word on the earth. I messed up a word. I can't remember what I was saying, but I said something about it and, and toot came out. And he, he said, he, and we were, he was crying and I was mad and we had that and he goes, <laughs> you said toot. 
And when he did, something changed in me. There was a smile. There was, a, there was something I saw in him that changed everything in a moment. He got punished hard. I mean, he got, he didn't get the lightsaber taken away, but it was like next step. He went to his room. He came back down. I was sitting on the couch. And he came back down, and he sat next to me. And there was this moment that was awkward for both of us. You've had that. Are we going we to make up? Or are we not? With a five-year-old, can't I be more mature than a five-year-old? Apparently not. I'm giving him the silent treatment. It's five. And he comes and he sits next to me. And all he does, he just takes his little arm. And he never wears a shirt. I don't know why. No shirt. He takes his little arm. He grabs my right arm. And he just pulls it around him. And then snuggles into me. And I thought, anything for this kid. I would do anything for this kid. I would do anything for this kid. You know what that means? That means I would punish him to the point where he thinks I don't love him anymore. I would punish him to the point where he feels like there is no way I could possibly be a loving father. I would do things that he doesn't understand because he's only five. I would say things that he doesn't quite get. I would do whatever it takes to lead him to redemption, to be the kind of man that will make the good choices when he grows up. I would do anything for this kid. I believe God put that in me. And he put that in you to say, this is God. There's a little glimpse in you. But at the end of time, when things get so bad, he's going, I would do anything. But God, you can't love us if you treat us this way. I would do anything. I would do anything. I would lead you to anything. Here's the thing, and don't miss this this morning. Come back Wednesday if this makes you mad or confuses you. Send me an email. But here's the truth. God isn't near as concerned about your happiness as you are. God isn't near as concerned about your life, your breath on earth as you are. I hate, to, I hate to say it that way, but you need to hear it this morning because here's what he's most concerned with. He's most concerned with where you're going to spend eternity. He's most concerned about what your life is going to look like when heaven and earth are new. See, the truth is, I'm not most concerned about Reese's love for his teddy bears. I'm glad that he likes them and I, I hurt when he hurts. But I am most concerned about his future. That's who God is. So then, my dear friends, just as you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with awe and reverence for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of the good pleasure is God. Look at this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without blemish, though you lived in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine like stars in the world by holding on to the word of life. Look at this. So that on the day of Christ, I will have a reason to boast that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. In the end, there will be a time where the name Jesus is uttered. And those of us in this space who have followed Him and who have asked Him, His presence to be in our lives and in our hearts will bow. And when that happens... God's story becomes complete. I want to give you an opportunity today, and band, you can come up. I, I know there's some confusion. I know that there's lots of, a lot of questions out there, and that's 
part of Revelation, and that's the intent. But here's what I want to make sure that you get from this today when we're all done with this. Here it is. To get on the same page with God. And that is this. First, to make your story about redemption. Your personal story. God's story globally is about redemption. It always has been. And your story. Wherever you're living right now, whatever you're going through right now, make it about redemption. And I want to give you this opportunity too. You know, my wife is here today, but she's usually sitting in that corner I keep looking for. She's upstairs with the kids. She's been thinking about it since Wednesday. I'll be honest, dreading it a little bit. It's not her, it's not her gift, the children. Um, doing children's uh, Sunday school stuff and, and teaching them during this. It's not her gift. makes her nervous. And um, sometimes she... I'm looking at a lot of you who do the same thing. You go up and sometimes you wonder, are the kids really getting anything out of this? And she was telling me that this week and I said, you know, I was getting ready to preach this sermon and I said, what if, what if your most important job was to tell one little girl, show one little girl hope that there's redemption? Just protect hope. I, I prayed for her this morning that and for everyone up there, I'm kind of looking up there right now, thinking about the kids that are up there right now, that our job as adults would be to lead people and lead kids and lead everyone near us to redemption. That means you preserve hope. That means in a crowd where pessimism is the king, you're the voice of optimism. You're the shining star in a wicked and perverse generation. What I see from a lot of older Christians and a lot of younger Christians too is crossed arms, pessimism, anger, bad Facebook responses. I almost got off of Facebook. I'm so tired of being disappointed in people I love. And I think, where is the redemption? Where is the hope? Your job is to protect it. When you go home today and you eat with your family and the conversation goes towards bad things, you protect Hope, you lead redemption. When you do it, not only do you lead people and yourself to peace and hope and joy that God promises, but you participate in God's plan, which according to John, is nearer than you think. The end is near. But redemption is the point. If you haven't been redeemed, if you haven't accepted the love and the faith or the, and the hope and the joy and the peace that comes with, with Jesus, I'm going right back to that corner. I'd love to help you to do that today. If you've got more questions, come Wednesday night. We're not going to answer them all, but we're going to dig a little deeper. I love you and I, I, I'm honored to be telling God's story with you guys today. Would you choose redemption today? Would you stand with us and 